iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is the Times Chief Sports Writer, Matt Dickinson, and the Times Deputy Sports Editor, James Restall. Coming up, we'll tell you more about the Saudi Prince, who is the majority partner in a proposed £340 million takeover of Newcastle. And we'll look back on the 25th anniversary of one of the most shocking moments ever seen on a football pitch. But first to Jurgen Klopp and the FA Cup. A pulsating second half saw League One Shrewsbury Town come from two goals down to Liverpool to force a money-spinning fourth-round replay at Anfield on the 4th of February. But Jurgen Klopp and his team of stars won't be there. We got in April a letter, last April a letter from the Premier League, I think, or from the league, I'm not 100% sure. I think Premier League, that'd be where we, they ask us for um, respecting the winter break, organising no international friendlies or competitive games. So we do that. We respect the winter break. So I, I, we will be in the winter break and um, in two weeks' time. And um, yeah, our youngsters will play against Rosebery at Anfield. That's a, that's a solution. The Premier League cannot say today that and then organise it together. They have to start talking and we cannot change it like this. Mm. So Klopp insists he will respect the winter break organised by the Premier League and that Neil Critchley will take charge of a young Liverpool side similar to the one that lost to Aston Villa in the League Cup whilst Klopp and the first team were winning the Club World Cup. So, is Jurgen Klopp right to think how he is thinking. Is he right, Gregor, to even suggest that he won't be at Anfield himself? No, I don't think so, personally. I think um, it shows a bit of disrespect to, mm. to Shrewsbury in a, in a major competition. Um, I think he has a point about the, the winter break and the players needing a rest. We've spoke, spoken about this plenty of times in the podcast, how players are uh, overworked and... If they've, they've built that kind of that window of, of rest into their schedule, then I think it's it's his prerogative to to pick a a team full of youngsters, and I'm sure they'll still give Shrewsbury a game. Um, but for him not to be in the dugout, um, I think it's disrespectful personally. What message do you think that will send to the Liverpool players if he's not there, or does it not matter to um, them personally? Well, I think look, the Liverpool players are not exactly what the games where it is in the sort of ranking uh, by the team that's been picked. It was the same when, when they went off to the, the Club World Cup and it was a youth team then and, and uh, Critchley was, was in charge. You know as a player how important that game is in the in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't think it'll affect them per se. I just think that it'll it'll be a kind of sign of the diminishing value of the, of the FA Cup. The, the biggest sign since Manchester United pulled out the competition. Mm. James, where do you stand on this? Because, you know, Jurgen Klopp is saying he's respecting the winter break. And as Gregor's pointed out, we've talked a lot about the managers complaining about the scheduling for a season and how players get burn, burn out. Do managers get that, though? Do they really need a break? Yeah, I do. I think I think managers are entitled, just as entitled to a break as the players. Um, the mental demands on managers now at the highest level, um, juggling the Premier League, I know they're 16 points clear in the in the title race, but he won't want to let up in that. 
he'll want his players to recharge and regenerate. And that's the same for him. Similarly, they've got a big Champions League campaign up ahead in the second half of the season. So I think, and I, I think he is well within his rights. If he's been told you have to respect the winter break, which the managers were told last April, then to me this is a failing and a breakdown of communication between the Premier League and the FA if, that, if, if, if this is what's happened. I mean, Steve Bruce uh, said on Saturday night, they've Newcastle also in a replay, he said the players had all been told that they'd have some scheduled time off to spend with their families and because Newcastle don't have as, as, as deep a squad as, as Liverpool, they're not able to go as far as play the under-23s and so that time off's been cancelled. So there is a real imbalance here and you know Bruce is going to have to be focusing now on preparing his team for Oxford when he could have been having a bit of time off and thinking how do we prepare ourselves for the rest of the season and keeping Newcastle in the Premier League. Um, ultimately, the end of this for me is that it looks like the FA Cup becomes lower and lower down the priorities and that's the that's the that's the the worst thing about this but i think jürgen klopp is well within his rights to have a break and he's been you know he's been more consistent than than well you could say a lot of administrators on this i mean he's point you know what he's doing is pointing out how i mean i've always felt that this version of a winter break was a bit of a political fudge in the first place you know we've got the staggered weekend you know and then i mean i'm you know i'm no uh, physiologist phd but i i, I suspect it's pure common sense that you know cramming four games in a week, ten days at Christmas, and then giving a, giving a few players a couple of days off in early February is no sports science, not that I recognise. So it, it just shows that this, you know, they squeezed in a weekend off um, for players, and then even then they can't do it properly because there's going to be these FA Cup replays. So it shows, among other things, you know, there's all sorts of issues as James has just mentioned about the where the FA Cup stands. But among many things, this has shown up is just how the dysfunction that continues in English football, where we can't even do a winter break properly. One, one they're no longer on. they're no longer administrators. They're kind of financial competitors. That's that's the that's well, they're, market, they're marketing bodies, aren't they? I mean, that's, you know, the, the people who run sports these days, and football is possibly the biggest, you know, obvi- most obvious example. But you know, the FA, the Premier League, you know, they're sort of called governing bodies. Actually, they're they're sort of marketing agencies. But we're going on. To, we're going to talk about what's happening at Newcastle and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's the same with UEFA and FIFA now. You know, every 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 so-called governing body is now a competitor, and they're all trying to make as much money as they possibly can. So you can see the the, the FA, yeah, they've, they've, they shouldn't have scheduled it. There's no other time to schedule the game. Mm. And the Premier League were the people who sent Klopp the letter. The, the FA are not bound by that. They're not, you know. But it was part of, it was a compromise deal between the Premier League and the FA to have this, very badly this done, winter yeah. break. And it, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been, it's, you know, it is cacander. There's no, there's no two ways about it. If you want to have a winter break properly, you have to look really radically at the scheduling because in Germany you have six weeks off, and this is and this is where Klopp's coming from as well. This is Klopp has experienced this himself and knows the benefits of having these six weeks off. Um, but you look at how much the Christmas TV, the Christmas Premier League fixtures must be worth to the Premier League. I I, I remember watching him from France and uh, over a Christmas period, and they build the four Premier League games over that week as Super Boxing Day on French TV. It's a huge worldwide package, so they're going to have to look more radically at whether they whether they can scrap that and fit and fit a proper a proper six week period in. But the six week break you're referring to with Germany, I mean 
last season we didn't have an international, sorry, we didn't have a winter break and Liverpool, Tottenham, they got to the Champions League final. Arsenal and Chelsea got to the Europa League final. So mm. it didn't, didn't uh, stop them all having successful-ish seasons, uh, if, if you like. But isn't the issue here with Jurgen Klopp the fact that he is the first team manager, Matt? So should he not be yeah, at this I, I, Yeah, and, I, and I, I wonder whether he'll, you know, in terms of his, his own presence at the game... I'd be surprised if he's not there. I mean, I think he's he's totally within his rights, and it makes sense for him to rest um, senior players, um, any you know people involved sort of week week after week in the league campaign and Champions League. But yeah, I, I would like to think that Jurgen Klopp, he's a football man. You know, I, I would like to think he will turn up and you know be there to to greet his sort of counterpart from Shrewsbury. But I, I, yeah, I, that bit. I think, um, yeah, I would hope sort of reason prevails. But on the on the wider issue of resting, he's absolutely, well, uh, yeah. And, and then I'm sure we'll get onto it, this sort of idea of disrespecting the, the cup itself. Um, you know, I think, again, you know, lower league managers are talking about scrapping replays, never mind top top six managers. And, that, and that's a whole issue in itself. Well, you talk about lower league. One man who is far from impressed by Klopp's decision uh, is the Accrington Stanley chairman, Andy Holt, who tweeted this about Klopp. He's very vocal on Twitter, if you haven't uh, spotted him yet. Uh, He is certainly worth uh, following for that reason. He is a disgrace, he says. I never understand why top clubs and top players don't stand up and stay united with clubs and players further down the pyramid. This is pure selfishness of the highest degree. I drag myself out of bed to play the replay because it's the right thing to do. I'd do the right thing. I'd give a bit back instead of being a grasping, selfish type, he says. Uh, He goes on to refer to Jürgen as you're embarrassing yourself. You're tarnishing your reputation. Rethink where you go from here. You are killing the FA Cup. There's calls to kill the Carabao Cup, the League Cup. You are killing us. Does Andy Holt have a point, Gregor? Uh, He's never one to sugarcoat, (laughs) has he? I think it's a bit strong, but I think... Look, it all comes down to money. Let's not beat around the bush here. Um, the elite clubs are essentially trying to bend the, the fixture schedules to their will. And the FA Cup, the whole purpose of the FA Cup is that every single club in the country can enter it and compete and try and progress. Uh, so the like, I think the likelihood of... If you remove replays, I think the likelihood of that is lessened, personally. I think if you... You know, people say yeah, you could go straight to straight to penalties mm. in a knockout. You might have more chance of going through. If you're playing against a weak inside away and you can bring them back to your place, then you've got more chance of winning. I think. So, I, essentially, these teams are trying to because they have so so many commitments and fixtures. They're trying to get rid of the ones that they feel they can just bypass the most easily, and that's mm. because there's more money to be made in the Champions League, more money to be made in the Premier League, and that's why that's why you see Championship teams now fielding. Your your team fielded a weak know, team because yeah, they did. they've got a hundred mil, million carat at the end of the mm-hmm. rainbow. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so that's more important to them. Mm-hmm. So it's trickling its way down. And didn't he? He was saying that. I mean, if it had been a draw, it have sort of that was the last absolutely. He the didn't last want thing. to replay exactly. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, I do think there is a, a you know, and this is this will sound like I'm dissing the FA Cup, but actually, I, I would hope it would be for the FA Cup's benefit to to be rid of replays. You know, it's been a. Yeah, again, a sort of typically sort of fudged uh, the way that English football deals with these sort of decisions. It's fudged that we, you know, we got rid of them um, from the final and the semi-final, and then it sort of goes back. All right, let's get rid of them from the quarter-final. But then we were going to do it one season, and then that got brought forward a year because of scheduling and TV and everything else. And it's it's been this sort of creep 
creep sort of move. And it's, I think they should just wake up and just do it properly overnight. And I, I think this as a fan as well, that I, I might be more drawn to cup matches, one-off matches, knowing that there was going to be a result on the day. I was there mm-hmm. at QPR on Friday night and there was a whole empty stand, um, another clear big decision... Uh, uh, issue with the FA Cup is that season tickets do not come with a, a yeah. cup bundle and I think that's another I'm not sure that can be enforced uh, I'm, I can't see how it could be enforced but it, it's, it's another issue that is eroding the cup that people are paying their money and just think well do I want to pay more? Would they pay more if they knew that there was guaranteed drama that night one way or the other? It was a knockout you know, it's a knockout competition, you are going to get a knockout that night if I'm saying that I can already hear someone screaming I'm sure out there somewhere, yeah what about the the, the chance for for smaller clubs to earn more money, I think it would have to be part of another conversation about redistribu- redistribution, which, again, uh, is another issue that sort of, if I was a football star, I, I wouldn't do it like it's done. But, um, um, you know, and it that is, is arguably sort of fudged as well. But, um, uh, you know, so there's a wider conversation there. But I think the idea of getting rid of all replays is not this sort of oh my god what you know i think it has to be put on the table and and talked about sensibly and and as something that could be good for the cup not something that destroys it one thing i would say as a fan of a team who've not been in the second tier since the early 1980s um it's not just about the money it's about as a fan getting that one-off chance Mm. to go and watch your team at old trafford at the emirates at anfield um the compromise solution would be, I think Jurgen Klopp himself suggested this, is that maybe League One and League Two teams, if they draw a, a team from the top two tiers, they get drawn at home. If you have a one, if you have, a, if you settle it on the day, mm-hmm. and then that solves that problem. But I would absolutely hate for replays in, particularly the third round and even the fourth round, to go because you think about these 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 Shrewsbury fans. Some of them may not have been to Anfield before. The, the, and, you know, and the players yeah, and, as well, and, and, and the players as well. But I think there is something there is something quite magical as a lower league fan. That is your that is your day out. It's the one thing you look forward to. You don't even mind if you lose five nil because to be to be there as part of you know everyone from your club pretty much. If you get the right away allocation, everyone who would fit in your home ground comes to a small pocket of the Emirates Stadium and sings their hearts out and and feels proud and you feel like you're tasting a little bit of what football at the top level is like. But that's, you know, that will still happen. You know, that will still happen. There will also be a third round draw and someone will get, you know, someone will get to play Liverpool, someone will get to play United City, you know. I mean, how many replays? I mean, the, the, the fact is we're talking about the Shrewsbury one because it was an upset and it doesn't happen very often. Mm. But yeah, there will still be a small clubs drawn against big clubs mm. and there will still be those magical, you know, days out. Yeah. I just still don't, uh, come back, I still don't see why... The whole the whole scheduling of the of the rest of the football pyramid needs to change for a handful of football clubs. I, I don't think the cup is as good as it. You know, I mean, I think the 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 is absolute and wider acknowledgement that it is. You know, in diminished significance, and that's just life. I mean, I don't think that's sort of worth weighing about. I actually say my my thought is that it could even help the cup if you have the simplicity of it. It's say it's already crept back round by round it's not as if you know replays are sacrosanct through the cup um all the way and i'm not sure whether having this sort of say halfway house does the cup any favors let me just quickly ask you though gregor on a last point on this obviously as as someone that's played uh, in the cup competitions have you ever had a draw and then had to take it to a big premier league side or a big club 
bigger than what did it the other planned. way around with played when I was at Forest we played Spurs and took them back to the city ground so it was a big money spinner mm. even for a club like Nottingham Forest um Got a pretty bad cut record, I'll be brutally honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but, you weren't the right person to ask. <laughs> but it's the, the, I think it also trickles down. I mean, like it's been brought up that Shrewsbury have played two games fewer than, than Liverpool and that's this what season. It is, yeah. And there's the same hand wringing about the AFL trophy, but it's just because they're Shrewsbury Town and League One and League Two teams, you don't hear about it as much. People footballers in this country play a lot more football than elsewhere. That's that's kind of been a long long held fact. And if you go to any of those games in the AFL Trophy and stuff, the teams are much changed in the early rounds and then you get towards the semi-final and you've got a Wembley final on the horizon, then teams put out a stronger team. That is the way cup competitions are now. And teams like Liverpool and Man City and all these teams, they have plenty players. They have enough players to fulfil these fixtures. So change the team if you want. Just treat it with a little bit more respect personally. And it's a good and it's a good experience, let's not forget, for those younger players who get a chance Trent Alexander-Arnold I, I imagine his first matches were in the League Cup and then the FA Cup my first match was in the League Cup yeah Yeah. And, Rovers away. and if you shine in those matches you catch the eye and I know you know Jürgen, Jürgen Klopp he might not be at the game but he's going to be aware of a really good performance in this yeah. match Okay, let's turn our attentions now to a story that's been gathering pace all weekend, which is the potential takeover of Newcastle United. Just to bring you some information on it then, it's the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is the majority partner in this proposed £340 million takeover bid. A group of investors organised by Amanda Staveley includes British billionaires David and Simon Rubin, who are believed to be worth around £18.7 with their fortune built on real estate and technology. Uh, the brothers, who were born in Mumbai, are said to support Chelsea. Uh, also have plans for David's son Jamie to land an executive role at the club, with Newcastle looking a more saleable asset after improved results on the pitch. Now, Mike Ashley bought Newcastle for £134 million in 2007 and has loaned the club since £110 million. But Newcastle fans are likely to be sceptical after several years of aborted or false claims being made from parties saying they want to buy the club. Newcastle have yet to make a comment on this claim, but what do we make of this story? Matt, do you think this one's genuine? Um, it, it, it seems so. I mean, more genuine than the last one that fizzled out. Mm-hmm. But given what we know about the last one that fizzled out, which in also obviously involved Amanda Staveley, I think we need to be, you know, uh, um, sort of wait until we we see it move on another mm-hmm. a level before we're, we're certain. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Newcastle, as we know, have been... Um, effectively up for sale for for quite some time. I, you know, the fans have been trying to get rid of of Ashley for some time, um, and it's just been a sort of pretty loveless marriage there. So it's 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 no surprise. I mean, I think the club's, you know, potential, um, you know, this sort of one cl- one um, club in the city, uh, and obviously it's, it has had Champions League involvement before. So you know, you can see some some of the attraction. Um, yeah, so I mean, given given the whole sort of Mike Ashley, say how sort of niggly and ugly that's got, um, you know, there's certainly sort of one reason to hope it happens. But whether you know whether Saudi Arabian owners um, 
is the thing to celebrate. Well, I'm sure we'll get on to that. Well, let's talk about then the potential owners, as James has alluded to there. The fit and proper persons test has been in place in the Premier League since 2004 and prevents anyone owning or being a director at a Premier League club if they have unspent criminal convictions involving dishonesty or have run a football club into administration twice or two separate clubs into administration. But with more and more money coming from Saudi Arabia and surrounding areas into sport, do we need to keep a better look on where Premier League money is coming from. Now, Matt, you've actually written about Saudi sport washing around events such as Auntie Joshua's boxing bouts in Saudi Arabia. Do you think this is another example of this? Uh, I suspect so. I mean, they used, you know, when I was over there um, in Riyadh for the Joshua fight, they made it very plain um, how much sport is part of a, a changing culture there for a few reasons. Partly um, it's internal, that they think they've got... a um, uh, they've got a very young population. Um, I think there's some extraordinary figure about how, how many of the population are under 35 and there's a part where they're clearly trying to keep them on board by bringing in big sports events. They feel sport and music are a part of sort of, you know, um, appeasing the, the locals. I think there's a big PR campaign to build up uh, tourism. Um, again, look, you know, looking beyond their, their sort of oil dependence. Um, so it's part, you know, sport is is becoming bigger and, and, and bigger. And when we were over there, we actually spoke to um, the head of the sports investment body um, who was talking, certainly didn't deny that um, that they were looking at, at, at clubs. Um, I did try and flog them QPR. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder why they didn't go for that one. <laughs> I know. Which you could say just shows up the hypocrisy that we're probably, probably going to get onto, which is that on the one hand, you know, rightly as a journalist, when I was over there, you know, we were asking, sitting down with this guy and asking him questions about, you know, Khashoggi and, a, you know, mm. the absolutely horrific um, murder of, of a journalist and asking him about civil, yeah, their own rights within the country and, um, and, and, you know, tough questions. And then the next minute you're saying, you know, you're talking about boxing and Lionel Messi coming there. I mean, the fact is they're investing across every sport. You know, we can sort of hand-ring about it as much as we like, but the fact is that sport is being bought up by them. There was a huge tennis tournament there. There's boxing there. There's snooker. There's golf. There's, um, you know, you, you name it. And as I say, the, the top four clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona... Uh, Atletico and Valencia, I think, were over there for a Spanish Super Cup. Um, and so, you know, I, I suspect, put it this way, that Newcastle fans are not sitting there fretting about sports washing. They're thinking, uh, bring it on, show us the money. Mm. Well, this is what I was going to ask you, Gregor. Um, obviously, we know all about the Saudi Arabia human rights issues. Um, but do you think football fans and players even care about who own their club when they're seen, as, as in this instance, as a shining light? I certainly don't think players will. I think they'll probably see the potential of uh, swelling their bank balances a little bit more, which is understandable. Um, and I don't think, sadly, fans do either. And I think in the Times this morning they reported that the Evening Chronicle there, there'd been a poll and 80% of Newcastle fans, sort of, despite all the human rights record, <laughs> said they would they would uh, happily welcome it. And that, obviously some of that's got to do with the fact that they've been tied to Mike Ashley for a dozen years or something um, and it's been a pretty depressing time for them and you know you, anyone sees the potential to be sort of catapulted into the into that that, that elite level um, it's, it's something you want you want to take but it's pretty depressing too and it's interesting what it does to fans I mean you kind of see a cohort of Manchester City fans on 
certainly online, who just seemed to be willing to defend anything. There was that issue when the, the British student was was arrested in prison for after a five-minute trial for, for uh, being, being accused of a spy in, in uh, Abu Dhabi in 2018. And you saw vast swathes of Manchester City fans defending that legal process. It's like, well, the, same, the same way Matthew Sire's written brilliantly in our paper about the Abram- yeah, the, the, where Abramovich's money comes mm-hmm. from. And, and, you know, let's just say it wasn't... Um, um, you know, something that most Russian people would approve of, and, and yet, you know, you mention that to Chelsea fans, and there, you know, there's absolutely you know, outrage about a, a sort of agendas and and so on. And I'm sure it'd be exactly the same with with Newcastle and Saudi, wouldn't it? It's, it's right that newspaper, you know, we sh- we have to continue asking that, mm. the tough questions around it, but it's 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 not going to stop it happening. That's for sure. And I suppose there's a question as well as. To what level does football have to hold itself as sort of morally more responsible than anyone else? You touch on all the other sports that are being invested in. Um, you know, we, we've, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's media a, it's, as well. It, it, I mean, I believe a, the Independence thirty percent owned by Saudi Arabia. So well, and, and we <laughs> welcome, you know, the royal family welcome the the equivalent royal family to the palace, and we sell them tanks and you know, goodness knows what else in terms of of arms and. You know, to try and um, you know the, the Saudi state-owned oil companies floating, and the London stock stock market was falling over itself to be part of that that business. So it's it is, yeah. Should should sport aspire to be um, you know sort of hold itself to higher standards than government and and business? We'd all like to say yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and the reality um, is that you know, as we get said, getting back to. FA Cup and fix, fixturing, <laughs> it's, uh, it's about money. Mm. Well, let's continue talking about the FA Cup then. We touched on it with the results between Shrewsbury and Liverpool. But one of the FA Cup surprises of the weekend saw Slaven Bilic dump his former club out of the competition as West Brom sank woeful West Ham 1-0 at the London Stadium. David Moyes fielded a strong West Ham lineup while Bilic made eight changes, with West Brom also having to play the final 18 minutes with 10 men after Semi Ajayi was sent off for a second booking. It means West Ham have been eliminated in the fourth round of the FA Cup against a side from a lower division in each of the last three seasons. And the bad news just keeps on coming. Only the Hammers' goal difference is keeping them out of the Premier League's bottom three. And the next four fixtures read as such. Liverpool at home, Brighton at home, Manchester City away, and then a trip to Anfield to take on Liverpool yet again. After the game, Billich bat Moyes to get West Ham out of trouble. But James, do you think Moyes is the right man to lead West Ham right now? What concerned me about that performance was... Moises' comments afterwards, where he said, uh, "I could have made, uh, I made three substitutes at half time, um, and I, and I wish I could have made more." Mm. You're the man picking the team, um, and that is an admission of the manager's failure to not pick the right team. Um, you mentioned it was one of the biggest surprises of the weekend, though. I don't think it was a big surprise. Well, I, you're I, probably I, right. I, I I was, even though West Brom made so many changes, I. I I thought that one, particularly with Bilich going back there and he, the trouble he had to deal with moving to the London Stadium with West Ham, having had all that success in that final season at Upton Park. I think he'd said in an interview in the week, he'd sort of stirred things up a little bit by saying that Upton Park was a much better ground to play at than the London Stadium. I just, it, it had an upset. Well, it had, it had a West Brom win on the cards all afternoon. And go, looking more, looking forward to West Ham and their survival prospects, a really concerning statistic is that 
they have the second worst expected goals against values, which means so of the chances that have been that teams have had against West Ham, they'd expect 42 goals to be scored against West Ham, which is the second worst in the division. When we look at that fixture list with Liverpool twice uh, and Manchester City in there, uh, who have lots of chances in matches, it suggests that West Ham's defence is very unlikely to... I mean, it works out at about... They should expect to concede about two goals a game. So against those teams, it's looking very, very... Very, uh, very unlikely that they'll be um, getting out of trouble anytime yeah, soon. Looking pretty bleak for them. I mean, there's often said that when you're taking on a, a big side or a, a top side like Liverpool, for example, it's a free hit for a side like West Ham. But if you've got Manchester City and Liverpool again, there's only so many free hits you can have. There are, but it's, I mean, it's David Moyes' sort of immediate problem to fix, but it's not his. Uh, you know, problem in the wider scheme of things. You know, and I was involved in a discussion about West Ham yesterday, and and by the time we finished, we'd you know pretty much eviscerated the owners. <laughs> um, you know, there is so much. Someone mentioned yesterday they're the 18th richest club, I think, in the world, mm. um, and yet, you know, their training ground is worse than some League One clubs. You know, so where's the investment gone in there? We all know about the, the you know, especially when you consider the the sort of yeah, peppercorn rent deal that they got from the stadium and and selling up to Upton Park. So that that that's unforgivable, really. Their investment has been shocking. In, you know, bringing Pellegrini, allow him to appoint a director of football. Some of the signings under um, that regime have been laughable. You know, when you're getting rid of Moyes, you know, going to Pellegrini, throwing all that money at it, and then coming back to Moyes. You know, what does that say about strategy? Bilic himself, I think, has always shown to him to be a very capable manager. And he left West when he left West Ham. It was simply because he was worn down. He was worn down by the owners. I mean, you know, he is a very capable manager. It just got to the point where I don't think he was probably managing that well by the time he left because he was fed up. It was just hard work. You know, there's been imposition of players, interference. It's just, uh, it's it's not a lot of fun uh, working under that complicated uh, is the polite way I put it ownership and. They've got a lot to answer for. Well, it is Moyes' second stint, as you pointed out, Matt, at West Ham after he was brought back uh, in November 2017 following the sacking of Billich and the club in the bottom three. He guided them to a 13th place finish but wasn't kept on as the club opted for Pellegrini, though that run was largely down to the form of uh, the frontman Marco Arnautovic, who has since left the club. And their record signing, £45 million uh, signing, Sebastian Allaire, was again disappointing against West Brom. So, Gregor, do they need signings? They haven't got long in this window if they are going to make some, but do they need some new players? They do, yeah. I mean, they they could do with a striker, probably a right-back and a midfielder, but uh, everything that the guys have said is true. I mean, who's who's making the decisions? Who's who's picking them? Because <laughs> the record is woeful. Uh, and those the, the people in those positions are now gone. The uh, director of football left with Pellegrini, was just a, a vast hole in in uh, in their recruitment. I don't think I've, I think you know I think and I, I watched your TV appearance yesterday. I think there's one they have one scout. That's so it's uh, very, certainly one they have to cover every single. Thing. David Sullivan's very hands on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's the real thing you've got to look at. I, I think in the last few years, probably Fabianski, the goalkeeper, Felipe uh, Anderson, just about. And Issa Diop, I think that's probably they're the only three players out of you know vast expenditure. I think it was 160 million last year alone. Um, they're the only three players who you could 
term of success, really. So the record is shocking, which bodes well, very badly for, for January. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, can you believe that this week marks 25 years since Eric Cantona's astonishing kung fu kick on a Crystal Palace supporter at Selhurst Park? After receiving some abuse from a member of the crowd, the Manchester United forward launched himself at a crowd member in what has turned into one of the most iconic moments in football's history. Cantona was banned from football for nine months for the incident and did 120 hours of community service. But does it remain the most shocking thing we have ever seen on a football pitch. First of all, let's just get your thoughts on on the incident in itself. Matt, I mean, when when you heard about it or when you saw it, you must have thought what is going on here? Yeah, well I was I was um wasn't at the game, but I was covering um Manchester um for uh, another paper at that time, so I was I was on the Cantona beat pretty mm. that that pretty much made it the Cantona beat. Um Every day, I remember we we were just pursuing him everywhere uh, he went, trying to get a chat with him. Oddly enough, he wasn't stopping for many of those. Um, but he had this. Uh, he always had this colossal charisma. I mean, it, you know, on and off the pitch, you know, he was, as everyone knows, this sort of massively galvanising force for United as as a player. And I don't think, you know, when he came. I don't know if anyone's seen sort of videos of how he left France in the first place when he went and he ended up at obviously at Leeds. But I mean, he left having, you know, I remember there was one tackle I saw where he basically just sort of karate chopped some guy who'd clearly been winding him up the pitch. And he doesn't even wait for the ref to show him a red card. He just literally holds his hand up and says, you know, I've done my bit, I'll be seeing you later, and walk, walk straight off the pitch. And I think when he got, I think he got some massive ban for that, unsurprisingly, and then walked around the panel of French, you know, the equivalent of the, the FA disciplinary panel and shouted idiot at, in each of their faces. So <laughs> it was sort of shocking. And yet from Eric Cantona, sort of, you know, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> an incredible incident. Um, but yeah, almost true to character. I mean, I, I, we're going to go through our perhaps our other contenders as to what we think might rival it. But I mean, it, it was truly unbelievable when you saw it happen. Gregor? Yeah, it's the kind of moment where you're just your jaw slackens and drips. I mean, the floor. have you ever have you ever been on the pitch and not that you'd ever consider doing that, but being pushed that <laughs> far that you might want to kung fu kick a supporter? 
No, I mean you can get some pretty foul diatribes mm. from the from fans in the crowd, and and it can make your blood boil. Yeah. But no, I'd never felt the need to go and kung fu kick someone. But you know, I was kind of trying. Uh, there's nothing compares. I was trying to think back in, over my career. What if there's anything I saw that was kind of nothing like that? I've seen things kind of spill over. I, I remember intercepting a teammate of mine with a screwdriver in his hand from the from, the, stu- from the stud box at half time. He was going back out to get. You know, I've seen some serious. Thought it was going to get another player. There had been an argument as they were coming off at half time, and he went and then got a screwdriver, and he was heading back out, and I was like, "Whoa, that's <laughs> bombshell! Well, that's bombshell! That's revelation. the story." Well, yeah, clearly, I won't name him, but <laughs> you know, they, there's so many things would spill over in between players, and and even I've seen f- sometimes fans outside yeah. giving abuse, and and even kind of people being held back, but never anything like that. No, so it was it was a one-off incident. It was pretty pretty extraordinary. Well, let's find out then what you think might rival that incident. James, let's come to you. What do you think? Uh, I'd go for the the Zidane headbutt in the 2006 World Cup Mm -hmm. final. Uh, I think I was watching at home. I was 14 at that time. And I remember watching that and just thinking, purely because of the stage that it was on. And this is a man who was about to end his career. And instead of ending it lifting the World Cup as... The narrative had suggested he ends up um, walking past it um, down the tunnel, having committed one of the most shocking things on a football pitch. I, I, I just think it will it will go down whenever whenever there are those iconic World Cup moment compilations. It's it, it, it's right up there. It was the red mist had come mm. over him, wasn't it? Mm. It was um, yeah, quite shocking. Okay, that's that's a good one, um, Matt. What's yours? Um, well, that, Zidane is hard to beat, but I, I'd say that I'll, I'll go for two. One, one I saw in the flesh was I was sitting. Um, it was about minus ten in Moscow for uh, when Blackburn were playing there in, in the Champions League, and it was seemed a pretty uh, dead game, if from what I remember. And then um, Graham um, Lasso and uh, David Batty um, have a niggle, and that turns into fisticuffs. And there was just a moment of uh, I think we we're all sitting there thinking, "No, oh, it's a." A quiet night, maybe five hundred <laughs> words, um, and get on a plane and go home. And suddenly it was, uh, yeah, oh my god, what 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 just happened there? And um, yeah, it was. We ended up uh, again as a reporter that night. You're chasing after them, and even on the plane back, we just flew back with the players, and I was trying to get get either of them to speak and chasing them through the airport afterwards because it, yeah, you, know, you do. How often do you you know you go to a game, any game, not you know, especially a Champions League game. And and see players from the same side wallop each other. So that was pretty huge. I, I'd but, but but I'd say my all-time um, favourite, if that's a, for, for infamy, was uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone is it's available on YouTube. Um, do go and watch it if you haven't seen it before. But basically, Diego Maradona he spends spends two years at Barcelona, and he's coming to his very last game. He's pretty unhappy couple of years. He's had his ankle broken and he's fallen out with the Barcelona board gets to the final game which is a Copa del Rey final equivalent the FA Cup final the king of Spain is in the stadium and they're playing Atletico Bilbao who um uh the team that they were their big rivals against and and the, the team that he'd ended up injured against and basically the game ends in the biggest punch up you've ever seen i mean people talk about handbags this is this is like you know 
um, full bore punches. Kung Fu kicks in that Kung Fu kick. I think Maradona (laughs) literally knees a guy, a goalkeeper, I think it is, in the head. It looks like he concusses him. I mean, it is absolute mayhem. And if I sound like I'm glorifying it, I I possibly am. Um, (laughs) I'm sure at the time I'd written disgraceful scenes, but uh, you watch it and you can't believe what you're seeing from one of the greatest, not just from one of the greatest players you've ever seen, but this, this was a cup final, a massive occasion. I mean, if it happened today... In the English football, you'll be talking live bands for people. I mm, mean, it, it mm. is say it has to be seen to be believed. So get over to YouTube now. Diego Maradona Copa del Rey final, nineteen eighty-four, I believe. Okay, right, one to look out for. Gregor, what's yours? Uh, I think we have to give mention to Roy Keane simply because on on Haaland because it was premeditated. Mm. That kind of sets it in a different category almost, but. In fact, he waited something like three years for oh, yeah. revenge yeah. as well or something. But I think for sheer brutality, it's Ben Thatcher's elbow on on uh, Mendes. It was the, the speed he was running at um, and the damage he inflicted as well was, was remarkable. And I, I crossed paths with Ben Thatcher once, actually, with kind of a mutual friend. And I would say he kind of maybe wore it like a medal round his neck that incident which wasn't the most the kind of most appealing sort of uh, impression you were left with you know you you should should have taken a screwdriver (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it was kind of that was not innocent to be proud of and Mm. it it didn't appear that way at the time so um, perhaps I got it wrong but okay they're all coming back now she was thinking just um, John Fashionu on um, Mabbott wasn't it as well Oh, fashion yes. the, 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 uh, Which, with this eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That, that was an absolute shocker, oh, I remember. Yeah. The one I saw, this is not, not as shocking in the violent stakes, but shocking in the surprise stakes. Um, the personal one was um, at Leighton Orient a couple of years ago when their then Italian owner, Francesco Bocchetti, <laughs> ran down to the touchline. They'd just beaten Portsmouth 3-2. And he ran onto the touchline and booted the assistant manager up the backside. And um, which the, co- the Portsmouth assistant? No, no, the oh, late, no, the late, no, his own assistant manager. Oh, his right. own assistant manager, and um, <laughs> which landed him, I think, a six-game FA ban and a and a and a and a fine. But it's it was yeah, it, it's sort of these things. These things are are so rare. I mean, even last season, there are so rare moments that make you really think. I can't believe what I'm watching. Even mm. even last season, like Kepper refusing to be substituted in the in the League Cup final, and you're seeing Sarri storm down the tunnel, mm. and you think, is he about to quit? And it was just, you know, it, it's you, these these moments are, you know, they stick in the mind for their rarity as well. Fact, yeah, they're all coming. We should have, yeah. Can we do a whole podcast, <laughs> a whole podcast on these? Yeah, yeah. Chelsea Barcelona, the punch up with involving Rijkaard and yeah. Rui, Rui Ferreira yeah. and so on at the end of that game. Proper, you know, again, I mean, nothing like the Maradona thing, but there was definitely a, a, a right hander in it there at some point. So, um, yeah, I think a whole a whole oh. podcast on best dust-ups we've seen well, maybe we'll have to do a special one on that one but Cantona's infamous kung fu kick did provide us with one of the greatest press conferences moments of all time uh, as Cantona addressed the media following the news of his ban when the seagulls follow the chola it's because they think sergeants will be thrown into the sea thank you yeah, I, I don't really understand it. Anyone else care to explain what he meant? Uh, a, he's the me, troller. It, yeah, it's a media thing, wasn't it? We're the seagulls flapping around, waiting to see yeah. what he's going to say, and that's the sardine sitting thrown out. And that, yeah, we're we're sort of we're drawn to him even. If, Were you um, in that in that press conference? I, I wasn't no, but I think you know that you know, and then 
I think at that stage there was again this sort of added to the Cantona charisma. I think since retirement he's sort of you know you see him pop up occasionally and it feels a little bit sort of contrived, shall we say? <laughs> but that that did feel like you know people have to put themselves in that that time. Then he was easily the most. Um, charismatic presence and, and actually if I'll just round that one off because then they, he gets the band long band he comes back they get the cup final he plays a pivotal part in the cup final and as he's I've spent a year chasing him for an interview and as he's walking through the mix zone at Wembley me and another journalist we say Eric any chance of a word as we've said every day for the previous year and he's ignored us and he suddenly said yeah no problem I'll stop and we couldn't think of a blinking question. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, you know, it was like, I did the worst interview I've ever done. We, we were so shocked that it stopped. It was like, we've got a year to talk about ban and kung fu kicks and sardines and everything. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to admit I screwed it up completely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Dickinson and James Restall. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.